In the first verse of the book of Amos, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoya, or the sheep herders, so right away he establishes that here's a, a common person of the earth that God is raising up to send to bring a prophetic message to the leaders of Israel and to anybody that would listen. And as God does, He works many, many times in very mysterious ways. So, um, He raises up this guy that I'm sure when people saw him coming said, who is this country bumpkin? You know, in, in, in my mind, in the modern sense, <coughs> he's, he's got bib overalls on, he's got a seed hat on, he's got mud boots on. I mean, he's one of one of us right here, okay? And, and he's going, he's from a small town outside of Jerusalem, and he's going to Jerusalem. I don't think we can even gather the... Imp- it's not like us from Sheraton going to Des Moines to bring a message. It's, it's even much more drastic than that. And, and so it's almost like it starts out of... You start in the hole, so to speak, like, why should I listen to this guy? You're, you're uneducated. You don't have a degree behind your name and so on and so forth. And, and, and yet God raised him up to bring a very, very important message and messages of warning that, that he brought. If you turn to chapter two, I want to begin reading in verse four. And just to give you, um, where we're at, Amos comes on the scene and immediately he brings warnings of judgment for the peoples and the nations all around Israel. And, and you know how it is when, when someone else is getting in trouble and not you, it's easy to smugly say, yeah, they had it coming. You know, when the when you were a kid in school and the teacher called out somebody on the right of you and somebody on the left of you and didn't call you out, it was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And so the children of Israel were hearing all these warnings to the nations all around them. And then... God raised up Amos to then bring it right to their heart. And in verse 4, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four. So right away now He's bringing it to Judah. I will not turn away its punishment because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept His commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. 
Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor and pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit above his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down by you. As a cart full of sheaves is weighed down, therefore flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day says the Lord. So he brings down judgment upon Judah and Israel, God's chosen people, after he had given it to others. And there's a number of takeaways that I want to mention uh, from this. And again, your studies tonight will go into deeper, um, more thorough study of this. But a number of takeaways. Number one, God is not limited in who He uses. Amos would not be the, the first pick. He, is, he is, is not one that the average person would say, there's the man that we want to go bring this message. But God has always been this way. Remember when, when David was chosen. Remember when various others, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, lest we get puffed up in who we are, that it's our wisdom that brought us to Christ and our knowledge, and God loved us because He saw great potential in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, we read, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But notice what God has chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world that the thing, and the things which are despised has God chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. So he says, 
God chooses the foolish and the weak and the basic, the plain, and the things that are even despised by mankind. And God does this that we can't glory in in ourselves. That the glory would be to God. So, anything that Amos did... It was not because, wow, he is an excellent speaker, or look at his legacy and his notoriety. And that ought to encourage every one of us that God has called us to him. And even though we, he says, not many wise, not many noble, even though we aren't on the top of the echelon, so to speak, of what humanly people think, God is able to use us because God is not limited in who He uses. But secondly, you're not into the book of Amos long where you keep reading over again in verse 3, in verse 6 of chapter 1, in verse 9 of chapter 1, in verse 13, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. I will not turn away my punishment from you. So, he keeps using this. For three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away my punishment from you. That statement is a Jewish idiom that means an indefinite number has finally come to an end. That, okay, so to speak, The cup of God's wrath has been filled up. And now, because of that, punishment will come to you. So, we talk about the mercy of God. We talk about the long-suffering of God. But the reality is, sometimes we act like it never ends. There is a limit to God's mercy and long-suffering. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 1. God is very, very merciful. He is long-suffering. But this message in the book of Amos, chapter 1 and 2 in particular, tells us that God's mercy does come to an end. There is a limit to God's mercy and long-suffering. Notice Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your tear comes. When your tear comes like a storm, and your destruction comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. And be filled with, to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. 
But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. That paints a definite picture that God says there is a limit to my mercy and my long suffering. And he spells it out that I called and you wouldn't listen. You had nothing to do with my knowledge. You refused the fear of the Lord. He said, therefore, you will call upon me and I'm not going to hear it. I'll let you have the fruit of your own ways. We don't like to think in that realm. We don't like to think in that light. But this is a message that isn't just unique in, in the Old Testament. In Second Peter chapter 3, it says, God is not slack concerning His promises, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. But it goes on and says, He has promised that He will bring judgment. And just because He hasn't brought judgment doesn't mean He's ignored it. He is long-suffering so that people would come to repentance. But there is a limit to God's mercy and long-suffering. Go back to the book of Amos, chapter 2. The book of Amos again, chapter 2. And... He brought the rebuke against Judah. He brought the rebuke against Israel. And then in verse 9, he starts listing how he has blessed Israel. He said, wasn't, I, wasn't it I that destroyed the Ammonite? They were like giants before you. Wasn't it I that brought you up from the land of Egypt? And wasn't I that raised up your sons to be prophets. I'm the one that did all these things to you. Remember, he had just told them judgment is coming. And now he's reminding them that it was God that had blessed them abundantly and it was easy for them to sit back in their blessing. They were in the blessing now. They were freed from their bondage in in Babylon, things were going well for them, and it was easy for them to think because they were favored of God that they would avoid judgment. The wealthy people of Israel were enjoying peace and prosperity, and they had grown complacent and were oppressing the poor, even selling them into slavery, and God said, you didn't mind when I warned of judgment of all the nations around you. But he said, I have blessed you abundantly. And the principle is, to whom much is given, much will be required. They were sitting there thinking, God has blessed us. And yeah, bring the judgment to the Edomites. And bring the judgment to those around us, those in Damascus. Bring the judgment to them. And then he brought it on to them personally. And it was severe judgment that God is bringing. And he's saying, because you are favored, it doesn't mean you're free from the judgment. And to understand to whom much is given, much will be required. So, one of the things that we learn from the book of Amos is that God 
always judges sin. Now, God's judgment of sin is not when I sin, a lightning bolt comes down and I'm fried on the spot. But you can count on this. God always judges sin. There's a punishment for sin. God's holiness and God's justice demands this. I don't remember when I first heard this verse, but it was somewhere along the line pretty entrenched in my mind. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can fool some of the people some of the time, and you can fool all the people some of the time, but we can't fool God. And, and it's easy for us to, to think of the fact God is going to judge sin, and yeah, these wicked people doing all these wicked things, and, and every, the evil going on in the world, yeah, God's going to judge sin. But we need to realize that God is also going to deal with the sin in our life. And God always judges sin, and no man or power can stop the judgment of God. Chapter 2 that we read at the end of it, he said, you are going to flee, but the strong are not going to avoid it. The mighty cannot deliver himself. He who is an expert with the bow, that's not going to help him. He who is the swiftest of foot, the fastest among you, you're not going to escape the judgment. He who has horses to ride and, and they are at his beck and call, that is not going to help. And he concludes in verse 16, the most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day. When God's judgment comes, there is no stopping it. There is no resisting it. There is no getting victory over it apart from Christ alone. You can run from it, but you cannot hide, hide from it. You cannot fight it. You cannot stop it. No man or power can stop the judgment of God. So God is going to bring judgment to sin. And every one of us will answer to God. There are, there are certain things in life. You were brought on the scene by God. You didn't decide when you would be born. You had nothing to do with it. This is all God's doing. And it's, it's unavoidable. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Every person apart from Jesus Christ, who has lived, has died. It's, it's guaranteed. And after this, the judgment. And, and he tells us, when we are before God, Hebrews 4.13, all things are naked and open before God. There is nothing hidden from Him. And Romans 14.12 says, Every one of us must give an account of himself to God. I don't know when, when you have been called in to various situations to give account of yourself to God. If, if you've been audited, not account of yourself to God, account of yourself to, 
to some authority. When you've been audited by the IRS, you are called to give an account of yourself. And it is, it is a um, intense, it is a um, fear-wracking accounting. Those of you that have been audited by the IRS know that. I mean, they have access to everything. And if you haven't been, blessings to you, okay? But when you're called to give an account, it is, it is like, whoa. The IRS is nothing compared to giving an account to God. And every one of us will answer to God. But I want to, I want to make this more personal. Yeah, every one of us will answer to God, but realize I will answer to God. Amos's announcements are judgment is coming and I will answer to God. And there's two judgments that what you do in this life will determine which judgment you will stand before. God judges sin in this life, but not always. Sometimes it is through eternity. There are people that quote-unquote, get by with sin. But they don't get by with sin because they're going to stand before God. But the sin problem is something every one of us have to deal with. If we claim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for our sin, that He took our place, then... Our sins are forgiven, but we will still stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice verse 10. Well, verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So he's writing to believers. This is a judgment that is only for believers. This takes place in heaven during the seven-year period of tribulation. It's not a judgment of whether you get into heaven It is a judgment on what you did with Jesus Christ after you trusted Him. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And notice verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation... so. The foundation, you have Christ in your life. If you build on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stone, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, 
but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. So, he paints the picture. The foundation is laid. These are believers, Jesus Christ. After you came to know Christ, you, you had an option of building materials. Gold, silver, and precious stone, righteous things done for God's honor and glory, our memory verse, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. That's not the memory verse, but it's right in that passage. That everything we do ought to be for God. That's gold, silver, and precious stone. But if we build living for earthly things, we live for self, we're doing maybe good things for selfish reasons, that is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. But every one of us... Our building. And our building is then going to be put in a fire. And whatever comes out of that fire, gold, silver, and precious stone are purified by fire. Whatever comes out of that fire will receive a reward. Whatever isn't is gone. And it will be suffer loss. They will be saved, it says, but so as by fire. Saved, and that's it. And you might say, I'll be just happy to be saved. No, you won't. The shame to stand before God and say, the gift of your Son that you gave me, I only took it to save me, and that is all I was concerned about. You cannot imagine the shame that there will be. And that day is coming for every one of us here today that are believers. And it ought to, it ought to, um, the next verse we didn't read, knowing therefore the care of the Lord, we persuade men. The, the awesome intrepidation of standing before God and then, I mean, I'm always amazed at brush piles. You put a match to them and poof, how quickly they're gone. I don't want to be standing and looking at my life's work and have it gone. You know, you think about it, so much of our life will be gone. That's the one judgment. But there's another judgment. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. This first judgment is for believers only. Those who have trusted Christ... For the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> this judgment, the great white throne judgment, we read about in Revelation 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." So, at this judgment, it is only unbelievers. And they 
are come before the book of life and they are proven that their name is not in the book of life. Proven that they never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, many will say to me in, in that day, Lord, Lord, we, we did many wonderful works. We cast out devils. We did all these wonderful things. And he will say, I never knew you. You never belonged to me. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, into the lake of fire. This is the judgment of sin on individuals whose sin was never forgiven through Jesus Christ. God always judges sin, either in eternity in the lake of fire or forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God judges, those are the eternal judgments, God judges sin in this life alone. But the day is coming, the day is coming that it will be revealed what I really am. He said many in that day will have fooled people. And, and others would have testified, yeah, they're a believer. But he said, their name has never been put in the Lamb's book of life. They never manifested fruit of eternal life. And superficial religion will be exposed. The sad part, it's too late. Those are the judgments. Of course, God deals with consequences of sin in this life. But we must realize that Christ alone can deal with my sin. My sin is either judged on the cross by the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, or it will be judged at the great white throne judgment when He says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the message of Amos is, judgment is coming, it is impartial, it's not just for the really, really wicked people, it's for God's chosen people, it is for all, there is judgment, and the message of Amos is, today is the day of repentance. Don't be, as it said in Proverbs, I called to you, but you wouldn't listen you turned from my rebuke. You didn't choose the fear of the Lord. Repentance. J.I. Packer said repentance is revising one's judgment and changing one's plan of action. Revising one's, one's judgment. Everything's going along fine. Things are good. I'm okay. Wait a minute. I am going to give an account of myself to God. I'm revising my judgment. If I'm going to give an account of myself to God, I need to change some of these actions. I need to change. I need to make sure I am a child of God. I need to make sure I'm building with gold, silver, precious stone. I need to make sure my life isn't lived in vain. Revising one's judgments and changing one's plans. Repentance is just not turning to God and lightheartedly saying, I'm sorry. It is genuinely turning from sin to God. Repentance is costly. It costs Christ His life. And the reality is that Amos is saying is God will bring judgment 
across the board. He's impartial in his judgment. He always judges sin. I am going to answer to God and it matters on what I do now in this life. Christ alone can deal with my sin and today is the day of repentance. Heavenly Father, I pray that we wouldn't just academically study these minor prophets. But Lord, I pray that we would be awakened to righteousness. And I pray that we would, as believers, build with gold, silver, and precious stone, that we would lay up treasures in heaven. And Lord, I pray for any individual here today that does not truly belong to You. Lord, penetrate the deepest recesses of their heart. And Lord, whether other people think they're a child of Yours, I pray that You would give them the, the uneasiness of spirit until they settle it once and for all by calling upon You for the forgiveness of sin. So Lord, we, we plead Your mercies. May we live every day in light of the fact that today could be the day that I answer to You. And Lord, may You be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.